0: Straight ahead with the 606 Club from Midnight Wednesday.
1: Hope you're enjoying this late summer sun that we're enjoying around London at the moment. Welcome back to this week's 606 Club Straight Ahead show. Jazz and conversation with me, David, for the next couple of hours. Our opening track was from our guest on the show this week, Tony Monrell. We're going to be speaking to Tony in just a little while and, of course, playing plenty of his music on the show this week as well. But next to play is a trumpeter that you can see at the club with us this coming Thursday on the 9th of September. The gig gets going from 8 o'clock and uh, all the details of course are over on the website 606club.co.uk and I speak of Quentin Collins, who's been on the show a couple of times and uh, on the bandstand with him this week is going to be Andrew McCormack on the piano, Lawrence Cottle on the bass and Jamie Murray on the drums. We're going to go back to his Road Warriors album though and listen to a track called Jasmine Breeze. loads of great music on the show this week. Of course, we've got our interview and music from Tony Monrell, but we're also going to be hearing from the likes of Paul Edis, Amanda Whiting, Lauren Bush and Hannah Horton. Now, an album that caused a storm when it dropped early this year was the latest album from the Nigel Price organ trio Where's reimagined. It's got a stellar lineup on it, including Snowboy, Joel Barford and Ross Stanley. And I decided on the show this week we should play track number one from the album Kariba. coming Saturday down at the club we have got ourselves an album launch it's the latest project from Graham Harvey and Dave O'Higgins it's going to be a swinging night it really is so what I thought we'd do just to get a little flavor of the kind of music you can maybe expect to hear down there is play a track from the Rob Luft and Dave O'Higgins album Locomotive and we will be hearing from Graham Harvey later on as he was on the Vilma Barn album and I've got a track from her lined up ready to play a little bit later on but let's go to the Luft O'Higgins album and play now Locomotive. If you're looking to add that track to your collection, you'll find it on the album Plays Monk and Train from Rob Loft and Dave O'Higgins. And uh, somebody that's got an album release coming out a little bit later this month on the 22nd of September is saxophonist Hannah Horton. The album is going to be called Inside Out. And in fact, sometime this week, I'm going to be sitting down with Hannah and recording an interview, which you'll hear just ahead of her album launch down at the club. But uh, just to give you a little taste of what you can expect to hear on the album, this is the lead single Keep Walking. <laughs> is actually with us on album release day, the 22nd of September. So I'll be sure to run that interview the uh, week preceding that gig interview time now and it is time that we meet Tony Monreal I guess he doesn't need much introduction to you for many many years 15, 16, 17 years lead singer with uh, Incognito but of course very uh, successful in his own right as a solo artist super creative got lots to say I'm sure you'll find the interview fascinating and during the interview he talks about the recording of a track with the Lungo Big Band so I thought we'd start off the interview with that track and this is With Your Love
0: straight Ahead Jazz and Conversation
2: And it's time you see my back up against the wall mm-hmm. And you always seem to keep me knowing That your love is there to catch my slightest fall You're so real, you make me feel there's nothing I can't do Even in my darkest nights, you pull me through with your love So I can be a little stronger with your love stars, the brightest of them all, you are, nothing in this life compares to you, you're my every reason why, my sweetest song, my lullaby, more than amazing, you're my fault and see what I could be, never will you leave my side, that's guaranteed.
1: Hey, Tony, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm really good. Really, really excited to be talking to you as well. And, uh, thank you so much for making the time to have a chat with us on Straight Ahead. My pleasure. So there's a lot to cover with you, and I don't want to keep you all night long, because <laughs> you'll probably end up regretting <laughs> having <laughs> heard my name. So let's go back to the, the, the little Tony we? As, as a little kid. Was, was music around at home much? Yeah,
3: um, growing, up, growing up as a um, you know, little kid in the, uh, in the, in the 80s you know, my parents and my family come from the Caribbean. So we had a mixture of music in the house and it was all different types of children's music as well. So it was pretty much right time.
1: So the kind of music you're getting was some soul, some, maybe some reggae, some jazz, would it be that kind of influences? Yeah, we had, yeah, we had everything. I mean, we had, you know, gospel, we had country and Western gospel. We had, uh,
3: you know, like reggae, but that had a lot of reggae connection from Scar, And then also like, you know, my, my uncles came younger than my parents. They were collecting violence. So that's what was introducing me to funk, right. to, to soul, you know, jazz, and stuff like that. So that's kind of how that whole thing came about. So, Were you growing up in London? Yeah, I grew up in London. Yeah, I grew up in a little area called Nunn, which is part of Freckham. Yeah, I know, it, yeah. South London.
1: And so yeah. That's sc- where I grew up, man. At mean, did you do any church singing or was it school that you got singing? How did it all begin to develop for you?
3: In terms of the singing thing, that came... That came while I was at church back, I I was in that wave of the 80s where hip hop, rap music, the whole industry had a massive effect and impact on the UK. So at that time, it was not just about the music, it was also lifestyles, clothing, there was so much stuff that came with it. So that was me for several years, and the singing came later on, about the age of, I want to say 18, 19.
1: So you didn't begin to develop your voice until then?
3: Yeah, until then. I mean, you know, I remember... I singing at my grandparents' church when I was about maybe six, nervous, and I had to sing part of this kind of like cherry concert thing they were doing. But apart from that, I, I, I loved music, I loved the art singing, but it wasn't my first choice. And so I never really paid any attention to that. It was more just about people um, and, and writing and uh, rapping and stuff like that. So that's basically what happened.
1: So yeah. you enjoyed being part of the scene, but hadn't really taken a thought of yeah. being a profession seriously.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Until, until when I got to the age of about 18, 19, I joined the youth choir. Um, cause I thought, okay, I really do like this. And I'm singing a lot more at home. And it just so happened that me joining the youth choir was a way of me thinking I'll be amongst other voices. So my voice wouldn't be so out there, but there's a way of me learning. Um, which didn't work too, because that's where I went to, they were like, we love your voice. You're singing the solo. <laughs> so, so, were, were you too. shy
1: at all then? <laughs> It sounds as if maybe
3: you're a little bit shy as a it, youngster. It, it, yeah, I was. Yeah, because the thing was, I would not shy. Like dude, dude, when, when I did my hip hop stuff in that group and that, that was that was different because we'd be connected. But then going into the whole realm of singing and where you can easily go out of tune. If you're if you're a rapper and you're you're dropping lyrical bars, it's easy to kind of like fall into a flow, and it's not so hard to to be able to distinguish if there's certain errors. Like, for like timing or pronunciation and stuff like that. But when it comes to singing, it's very easy to go flat, very easy to sit sharp, mm-hmm. and where your vocals can stick out like a salt and
1: all. So then once you got to that, this pivotal age, sort of 17, 18, 19, uh, well, actually, just going back from that, when you were leaving school then, what was the game plan? What were you going to do for a living? What was the chosen profession for Mr. Monrell going to be?
3: Well, do you know what? That, when I was in secondary school, a friend of mine, who's actually now one of the um, main producers at... Um, Radio One and One Extra, we were both in the same class at the same school and the school I went to is a school called Kingsdale mm-hmm. School and it's based in, in Dulwich. Um, and you know, a lot of musicians have gone to that school that was well known for its music development. And so what happened was I was still freestyling and rhyming and stuff like that. And he told me one day, Hey, the DMC champions is going on championship in London to to this afternoon or tomorrow. Um, But it's on the school day. So if you wanted to go, we'd have to truant. So he was like, you should definitely enter. So I was like, and you know, all these famous DJs from America were coming over. So for me, it was like, I wanted to meet all these people and be that experience. So I entered and lo and behold, I was there from 11 a.m. till 9 p.m. because I was going through all these different heats and I came third. Wow! So what happened was, when that happened, I thought, you know what? I really, I really think I can do this. I'm going to do this. And then there was a producer from the BBC that they were producing a TV series at the time called The Lowdown, mm-hmm. and that was a show that was around the time of like the, the, the Blue Peter and stuff like that. But it was purely around children, so the presenters were children, and each subject each week could be a serious thing. One could have been about moving away from your friends to a different area. One could be about, you know, the And this particular episode, they wanted to talk about rap music and the influence that it had uh, culturally and everything else. Mm-hmm. So they, they wanted to know a bit about me, me and then my the group, the guys that I hung around with. And so once we did that BBC show, that was kind of solidified that I want to be in the industry. Um, I didn't know exactly what I would do, but that, that, I knew that you know I wanted to be in the industry.
1: So of course, making a decision you want to be and actually breaking in, big steps. I mean, yes, some fortune, but how did it all work out for you then? Yeah, well, the thing was, it was like, when that
3: happened, it, it, it wasn't the case that I started singing mm-hmm. and then, you know, my career started, you know, I, I had my rap group and I think at, the age, at that age when I started to sing, we were getting older and I wanted to make money. Everyone wanted to make money. And it got to that point of like, you know, there's so much my parents can take. I've got to go get a job, I've got to get on, you know, get in the workforce and stuff like that. So at that particular time when I was doing that, um, some, uh, as soon as I left school, friends were going into college and then started in college and university, but they had, which was the youth training scheme, the YTS scheme. And so I, I wanted to have some form of skill under my belt so that down the line, if anything, I'd have a job at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that. And then I was working in marketing. Um, so at that age, I landed a job and I was still getting into singing, but my main focus was now, singing's a hobby, Yeah, it's a passion. I would love to to make a career. I've just found a career and it's doing really well for me making money. So basically, after some time doing that, I'm still singing and I was developing my, my singing craft and a friend of mine contacted me and said, look, I've got this music agency and I'd love to book you for a vocal session.
1: I need your friends. You've got friends in the right places, haven't you? <laughs> Radio One producers and <laughs> the, the network team together.
3: You know, it's like, I think what happens is when, especially when you, you come from Marco, like, uh, the, the kind of church that I went to is very musical orientated. So you have singers, musicians, keyboardists, drummers, bass players, and some of these, you know, were professional players. So they were or at church on Sunday and at rehearsals, but you know, they were full-time musicians that were mm. playing on different TV shows and stuff. So that was the kind of how it, it, it fell together. But this um, particular friend called me up and said, look, I've got this, this session and I'd love you to do it. And my natural response was no, because I don't do that. And I've got this job and everything else and I won't have the time. And he still said to me that it would work on a weekend. And that was my real experience of going, right, that's it this is this, I'm making a decision. I'm going for it. Um, the session was, uh, at a studio, um, in Barnes, uh, called Olympic Studios, which is no longer there. Really. But, um, I went to studio, A and sitting on the couch with my producer, was Gloria Estefan. Wow. And um,
1: Did you know it was her session? When
3: I kind of, no, I didn't know it was her session. In fact, I thought I intruded on her session. <laughs> so I, I said, I'm really sorry. And I, I left, she was like, no, you're totally right. And I'm yeah. And she said, no, what we were expecting you, you know, we've got the song and stuff like that. So it, it, I think in a nutshell, that was my friend's way of letting me know that, that I was good enough for the session. Yeah. And it wasn't just me. There were other singers as well that turned it afterwards, but I just got there first um, to make this chorale um, section. And it was for a song that she did for the Atlantic, uh, Olympics. So off the back of that, we did some promo stuff, TV shows and stuff. And it was just a thing where I was like, you know what? I like a bit of this. Mm-hmm. And, um, I said to my friend, if you've got any more like that, just give me a shout. And it really worked well because the company I was working for was a young company. They saw me on TV. They championed me and said, look, you should just do it. And, you know, if you just take it at your holiday or on the weekends, we can, you know. Oh, the
1: marketing come in company early, that you're working work, with?
3: Yeah. Come in early, work through your lunch break so you can come off if you need to do that. So they were really flexible. And so it just led me on to doing so much more. And then just ultimately got to the point where the money that I was making doing all the sessions that was surpassing. I was making as a living, as a career. So I just thought, well, hang on, I must be good enough. And so I just took that, that jump.
1: Now, funnily enough, I was talking about last week, I had a guest on Luke Smith, the pianist, and he was talking oh, about- Oh yeah, I grew up with Luke. Right. Yeah. So he was on, in fact, that like interview's going out the next day after us, we record this and he was a right. brilliant interview. I mean, again, the guys, but he did a lot of session work too. And that's right. We did a lot of the same sessions. Right. And I saw that on one of your albums, Tony Remy's on there. I've got Tony Remy lined up as well. So the the world's a small place, isn't it? So
3: That's right. Yeah.
1: But we were talking about the benefit of session work and a great way of learning your trade as well, because you're thrown in, he was describing it kind of like basically they're employing you. So you've got to sing their style, perform their music. And it's a great way of learning different styles.
3: That's right. It's one of those things where, one of the great things about the industry here in the UK, especially for like, um, Black musicians and, and singers that come from a church perspective. What was good for us is that because it's a, such a small demographic, so we live on a, a small island, mm-hmm. and there's all these different varieties of music. As a session musician, you needed to, you couldn't just sing jazz or R and B, you know, because you only get one call or two calls a year. So it was just a case of like learning pop, and then being able to branch into some stuff that maybe a bit classical and stuff like that. so it, What it did was it gave us a rounded approach to different artists and different genres of music. And um, that was really beneficial because that was part of my arsenal to be able to go, yeah, I know that style. I know this style. And so that that was a big, you know, big help.
1: And so as your career is going now, you said that obviously you left the world of marketing. This became a full-time thing. We're getting towards, I guess, the incognito years, which was a big part of your career, wasn't it? I mean, 15, 16, 17 years worth of your career. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The meeting we blew you. How did that call come about then?
3: Well, so fast forward. So I was doing these sessions. Then I started to to talk. And what happened was um, I got a call from David Grant, David and Kerry Grant, who were managing me at the time for a short period of time. And we were doing a lot of stuff together, sessions and booking stuff. And um, he called me up and said, look, you know, I've got this, this, this great session that's going to turn into a tour. It's working for Robert Palmer. And so I was like, man, Robert Palmer, I'm in. Yep. And so happened that they wanted me to to uh, musical direct a big folk section, a twelve piece male vocal section that he wanted to take on this US tour. So, you know, we a few of the guys we all were friends anyway, knew some different stuff. And then one of the guys I knew of a guy called Xavier Barnett, and uh, he was he was a singer that was known for singing the Eurasia and some other big acts, and. After that particular, you know, we we'd bonded, we were on the road for like four months, bonded, and he landed the gig in Incognito. He called me up and said, Hey, uh, we've just done this recording. Bluey's looking for another singer to come in we just and just advance and enhance what they've got already in some alternative tongues and textures. Mm-hmm. So I said, Yeah, I'd love to, you know. Got to the studio, met with Bluey, and he was really, really lovely, really welcoming. Listened to some of the stuff, told him where I could fit in with Hunger Lee's and we started recording and then, you know, in between takes while they're checking stuff in the main room, I was just singing some lines and just singing some stuff, you know, not knowing that the mic was still on the, in, in, the, in the main control room. So then he came out and he was just like hands in the air, yes, yes, this is the voice I've been looking for. This is the voice. And so I had no idea what's going on. I thought, you know, nice one and <laughs> carried on and he was just vibing with me, vibing with me, but lo and behold, while we were recording the sessions, we were there for about three, four days. Um, he was talking to his management about, I've got this new singer. You know, I know we just done the album, but I want this girl in the band. Put a closer together, put it to him. And so they said, look, you know, we're not going back to game just yet because you're about to go on the road. But later on, yeah, we could make that happen. So that's kind of how that happened. And then he just he said, look. I know you've just done this and I know it's, it's really rushy and that stuff like that but I really love what you're about and I'd love to offer a position in the back. And so they went on tour.
1: And you're about to go on tour with Robert Palmer? And this is all at the back of your mind? No, own. I just came off just tour. just came back from the tour? I
3: came off tour and I'd just done that record with Incognito and then it was like, wow, they're on the road and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, be a part of the band when they get back off their first, you know, their, their main first US leg. But then, this is the connection between Incognito and the
1: A. I was going to because
3: say, I know you work with Sade. Right. So the thing was, I actually toured with Sade before I toured with Incognito because when I went to the studio, John Henry Studios in London, rehearsed with the band, and in the opposite studio with Sade, auditioning for a new member of her band. Bloomy and Sade connected, they were talking. Um, she said, You know, like, you know, she's been there for a couple of weeks, the audition for me, and then basically Bloomy said, Can I have a look at the list? It was an extensive list to see. And he said, "Look, the guy that you want, his name isn't on the list, um, and he wouldn't know about this audition. But this is the guy I wanted for my band, but I'm not able to take it right now. But this is the guy. Here's his name. Here's his number. And the rest is history." She called me up, and um, while well, I was doing my grocery shopping the next day, <laughs>
1: and that's a cool, said, you're
3: to you see know, so much. It? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, you know I'm at the checkout, and I'm like, I'm realizing it's her talking to me on the phone, and so I said, "Look, you know." What, what day this week would you like to, 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 for me to come over? Uh, and I'm thinking it was going to be at the you know, studio and we packed down that. It's going to have to be at my house. The rest of the guys have gone to the States um, and um, I need to see you now. We've got someone on standby but I'm so compelled to, to see you. Uh, I'd love to see you now. So drove over there, got changed, sung a little bit and we sung together with that, and uh, that was it. So I basically became part of Sade before doing um, the Incognito stuff. So we went and we did an extensive tour, then came back and then jumped straight into
1: Incognito. So it sounds like there really wasn't many gaps. Once you'd gone pro, that, you know, you were touring and getting on regular tours with, with these names. So there wasn't any gaps. Yeah, it, it sounds it. Long tours as well. It,
3: it, was, it was full on. It was full on. And, you know, we, especially with Incognito, they're a touring band. So throughout the year, we'd be touring, we'd be the students Asia, so we'd be there for several weeks, come back for maybe two weeks, and then on the road again here various parts of Europe, going back to America. So it was just constantly. And in between those times, he would be working on records. So we'd shut down for a little bit and then in the studio, recording. So um, it was a roller coaster.
1: And I mean, apart from Sade, I know also you've, you, you've worked with um, Earth, Wind & Fire, Whitney Houston, Shaka Khan. I mean, you've worked with some of the big names in the industry, haven't you? Yeah. And worldwide as well. I mean, that's the thing.
3: Yeah. I just think that um, I guess the stars were aligned, let's say. And um, what happens is when you are fluid enough to work in kind of any situation Mm -hmm. and you've done all these different genres, when people are looking for people, they don't get into the situation of going back, let's go through this whole extensive list. They'll just ask someone or go, (laughs) get him or they will just know of you. And so that's kind of how that went, you know?
1: And so you did a good many years with, as we said, like 16 odd years with Incognito, regular tours, regular albums. When did you begin to get the idea that you wanted to step front stage? You wanted to be solo? Well, to be honest with you, the plan was
3: always that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm um, incognito because being in that band, you know, you're you're a main fixture of the band, but also you're singing lead. So that was um, the testing ground for me in terms of developing my sound, my style, as well as, you know, um, formulating my own presence within the band, as well as growing my own audience fans within the Igrem Neo fans. <laughs> And it just so happened that I was always getting promoters and fans asking me, When am I to do my own thing? They've heard me on features on different things, writing on different things, when am I gonna do it? And so while I was doing the Shade tour, um, I had enough time because, you know, once you do that kind of a mammoth tour, everything's about the show. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you've got a lot of time in your hotel from and there'll be days off and stuff like that, and all you're doing is that show, you know. So I had time to, to write. With with incognito was people start moving around all the time, not too much loads of interviews and stuff like that. So the pressure was a little bit off for me. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the shadow stuff. I would do basic interviews and I could be in my room in the hotel suite and then just write and I'd have all my stuff up, started writing. So it gave me 22 write material for an album. So that's kind of what happened then in 2013. I mm-hmm. uh, mean, a, um, a business partner, Tony lashes from real people, uh, got me involved and did an EP. Because I'd featured on some real people stuff before. That's It's right, just kind of the natural progression. So I did the Fly EP, that blew up, and then I started getting a lot of shows. And I already had a big portion of the um, Keep Pushing album, uh, which released in 2015. So mm. basically, that was, totally that me, was kind of the body. That's right. So that's just the big body of work. And so when that happens, it was like, you know, straight away, it was UK charts, it was away playlist, the radio too. And so I could see the direction of where it was going that look, I'm going to have to make a, a decision because there's going to be a clash mm-hmm. of dates. And that happened was I was getting a lot of tour dates in, that was clashing love. And so it's just an electric kind of thing to go, look, I'm going to have to reduce what I'm doing with Uncle and and focus on that. And so it's not like I completely left the group. But it was a thing of like, in this way that I, the analogy I, how, how I put it is, you know, to my parents house. You know, when I get to a certain stage in, in life and maturity, you move out, but I still got keys in my parents house. And it's exactly the same with too. I've just thought to do what I'm doing from my own South and my own stage, but I'm still part of Ingotmento, The I'm door still is still open. So with them. Yeah. So that's kind of how
1: we work as a family and that's, that's kind of how it's in for me. And has writing been something that's come naturally to you? Yeah, it did. And you know what happened was, the writing side of it all, um, it worked
3: for me because of the hip hop background of simulating lyrics and various mm-hmm. concepts. And then, when I wanted to get into like serious writing, like serious writing, like uh, um, you know, like like the pop stuff. So I did a lot of stuff you with know, Gary Barlow's bandmate and one. So we did a lot of pop stuff together to different artists and so I'm more writing on different things. And I was part of different camps, doing stuff for Zomba Records, Jive Music. So like Backstreet Boys and that kind of stuff. So I was writing all these different projects and that's kind of what helped me. And actually it was Gary that, you know, we were doing stuff together and I was like, look, do you know, forget the session. I'll do you know come with that for free. Let me write with you. Let's sit down and let you sit in and work out. How will you do it? Um, and that was kind of like how I could put music to melody concepts so and just to get an idea of, of, of the way that a, a, um, a big songwriter would write. And so that was it. I knew I could write songs.
1: Yeah, and it's just, just holding your skills. Yeah, then.
3: and it just refined it. Yeah, and tailored it into like, right, that's what, what it needs. And the, yep. the chorus is the meat of the song. This is what we need to focus on.
2: Okay, so in 2015, I released my album Keep Pushing. And one of my favourite tracks that I love to perform off that record is A Million Ways. And this is a rendition, a 2021 version of A Million Ways. Here we go. Time and time again, try to ignore it and pretend, but you and I, Got something special going on And though we've gone our separate ways Evidently nothing's changed Cause you and I Got something so strong Could it be that this is destiny Or is it just the summer sun Imagination's got the best of me When I think of you Girl I feel you're the only one, and I see a million ways I know, I, know that I can love you. I
4: can
2: love you. A million reasons why. We gotta get this thing going on, girl. I can't go another day without you. This is our moment, this is our time. A summer love. Morning, babe. Oh, let's just stay in this place We're not a second gonna waste The stars are relying For you and me, girl To hold you close within these arms of mine And breathe you in like the summer air And kiss you softly, baby, countless times Whoever sees what we're doing A million ways. Know that I can love you. A million reasons why. We gotta get this thing going on, girl. I can't go another day. I can't go another day. This is our moment. This is our time for some love. To never end this my wish to love you forever.
1: great time sitting down uh, just a week or so ago and uh, more to come on the interview in a short while's time, but I told you we had a, a really good natter and, well, I don't need to even back announce the track we finished off the first part of the interview with there because uh, Tony did a, a far better job than I. It's uh, the 2021 version of A Million Ways. Still to come on the show this week, music from Amanda Whiting and Lauren Bush, but first of all, let's play a track from Kyle Eastwood, which are also, of course, in amongst the band are Brandon Allen and uh, guest at the club this week, Quentin Collins. We're going to play uh, a track from Kyle, the Grand Torino theme song. You'll listen to me, David. And of course, this is the 606 Club Straight Ahead Show. Straight Ahead with David Lewis.
5: drink instead on my own oh how I've known the battle scars and worn out beds gentle now tender breeze blows whispers through a grand torino whistling another tired song Hum and bitter dreams grow, heart locked in a grand Torino It beats a lonely rhythm all night long. These streets are old, they shine with the things I've known, and breaks through the trees. They're sparkling Your world is nothing more Than all the tiny things You've left behind So tenderly Your story is nothing more Than what you see What you've done or will become Standing strong You belong In your skin just wondering. Gentle now, a tender breeze blows, whispers through a Grand Torino, whistling another tired song. While engines hum, bitter dreams grow, heart locked in a Grand Torino. Beats a lonely rhythm all night long. May I be so bold and still need someone to hold that shudders my skin. They're sparkling. The world is nothing more than all the tiny things you left behind. Tender breeze blows, whispers through a grand Torino, whistling another tired song. Engines hum and bitter dreams grow, heart locked in a grand.
1: from the cinematic album from Kyle that was released back in 2019 and because of all the various lockdowns they've only just finally been able to tour and I know that uh, Quentin was uh, over in France for a good many weeks or months during the course of the summer they were finally able to play at stadiums and gigs and get that album out and toured and the track we just listened to, Gran Torino featured the vocals of Hugh Coleman. back to our interview with a certain Mr Tony Monrell. let's start it off with Spotlight
2: Yeah (laughs) So as we continue with this lockdown sessions, I want to take you back to 2013 when I released my Fly EP. This song I love to perform. It's called Spotlight. Here we go. Yeah, the spotlight's on you, girl. be curious to know just what your name, cause when you walked into the spot, oh, something changed, and I just can't take my eyes off you, but I got to keep my cool, cause now you're heading over to my direction, yeah, this is my time to make a connection with your girl, I stare, it makes you laugh, cause there's a lot of questions on my mind that I need to
1: First album out of the way. Obviously, you toured it, and then you began to develop the idea for the next album fairly quickly after that. Because you've done three solo albums, haven't you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I did. I, th- I mean, my my first real like, what well, my first solo album I did in ninety seven, I think, and that was uh, with the label Art and Soul. That was with Hawk Olinsky from um, Rufus and Shackle Khan, and um, that one it, it, Hawk was great, but his business partner wasn't, and um, we signed a deal. And there were some breaches in the contract on their side, and so I never really considered that really like the record because I actually released my like demos, which my legal team were able to, to 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 freeze. So there was only they only did a deal within Japan so that, so you can only get it on the import. Um, and it's not an album that I'm saying that's my first album. It's just the way it came. Historically, of, it's, but it's there, it but
1: yeah,
3: right, exactly. For for a Discord point of view, yes, it was a record that I did, but like my real kind of official official album that solo, solo was pushing. Sure.
1: And then you went into the best is yet to come. Best is yet to come. That's correct. And then obviously the third album I was talking about was the, through the course of last year, the lockdown acoustic session. So yeah, they could do the, the, Yes. Yeah. So what was lockdown like for you then? I mean, work, I assume pretty much dried up. You know what though? This is the funny thing. When the first
3: lockdown happened, there was a lot of people, a lot of artists that, that, their tours were, were suspended or frozen or postponed or canceled, right? But for me, just, just by the luck of the draw, I was still touring. So I was touring in territories because most of the stuff I do is outside the UK. So I was touring in territories that wasn't affected yet by COVID. And so their laws they, uh, were, were flying. So I was still able to do quite a few, a few shows until it got to the point where, you know, it hit those territories too. So the first part of it was flying. Second lockdown was where it was like, you know, tough because like then all of my schedule all the stuff we had planned promo marketing campaign, as well as down to, um, the tours that I had, we had to reschedule. And then, I mean, some of those dates have been moved four times now. So it was one of, the, you know, one of those kind of things. And mentally it was, it then became a challenge of like, what do I do? I'm so used to being on the world touring and being in the studio. What do I do? So that was a mental kind of battle and, and, you know, I realized to myself in that time, it just made me value a lot of things. I also realized that this is the first time in 18 years that I've been in the country this long. So it was quite, quite an experience. Mm. And, and so I just thought, you know what, I'm going to start writing. And I spoke to the rest of my team and said, look, we can work remotely. I've done stuff like that before. where I've recorded string or orchestra sessions in Russia and some other territories. And they've got all the charts and music, and then send me back the files. So I thought, well, we can do the same. So I'd record remotely from home, and then I would get my guys, you know, uh, two of my guitarists at the time were in Italy, and they recorded remotely. Mm. Um, And one guy was in London, and that's basically how we put this um, acoustic session
1: out. Yeah, I mean, the, the way the music industry has adapted in this last year to being so adept to working remotely. Yeah. You know, it makes you wonder what the future recording is going to be. Oh, no, it's great to be back in the studio. Yeah. But now there are no barriers, are there? Whoever you want to record it, wherever in the world, yeah, it can be done.
3: You, you, can, you can. You can definitely do it. I mean, there's nothing beats being in a room with a team of people for the creative juices and the content to come out. And of course. you get a vibe and an energy. It's a different kind of place in your, in, your, in your mind that you have to go when you're doing it, you know, remotely or working by your own. But I actually I still like it. You know, it was really cool and it? it just it just proved the case that it could be done.
1: And where are you thinking that the future's heading for you now? How do you see your, your career path going?
3: Um, well, right now it's more of the same. Um, I've just got some stuff coming in at the moment for the latter end of the year and then going into next year. So for me, it's now really just about refocusing, looking at some of the venues that we're doing and the beautiful thing about me doing that acoustic EP because I did it around two guitars, it now means that I could take on some acoustic stuff um, as well in terms of performances. Um, I'm doing some stuff with the BBC Concert Orchestra. So doing that, I've got a massive show, two shows, um, one that, both of them actually at the Royal Apple Hall, one with Guy Barker Christmas Special and then the Trevor Nelson so for Christmas Radio 2 one. So.
1: I was just going to mention Guy Barker because of course, this is kind of a, a jazz show generally, but I noticed that you opened yep. up the London Jazz Festival with Guy Barker back in 2017, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. So that's with his big band. That's right. That's with his big band, Full Christmas 70-piece Orchestra. Wow. So, I mean, do you ever foresee that it could be a, 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 a jazz album coming from you? Do you, Have you got that idea that you might want to sit down and record uh, actually, a big band album? yeah.
3: I I, I, I I am working on some stuff at the moment because I did actually do two big band records. I did a big band um, record um, with a, a group um, from Austria called Lungau, the Lungau Big Band. Um, and check it out. The Lungau Big Band, Fiji Tony more Well, and the... I did a record, first record was called Soul Wows and the second record, which is more of an original record, was called Messaging the Music and all the songs on there are all original apart from uh, my rendition of Marvin Gaye's What's Going Off um, for the full big bands. So I've done that and I think it was a na- natural thing, like I, my voice lends itself to do stuff like that. So for sure I'm working on stuff at the moment um, for another kind of record and I am looking at doing a, a jazz. A jazz. Thing. I was just thinking. I so, can
1: hear your voice singing. I can just hear it harmonizing with a big band. It would sound amazing. Would yeah, I'm.
3: I'm looking at doing that or doing it as a as a you know as a quintet or something like that. Mm. Where you know my stuff is kind of storytelling songs, and I'm not a traditional jazz singer. Um, but my voice lends itself to those kind of styles. And the beautiful thing about some kind of jazz, you can you've got the kind of country jazz. You've got the, the jazz that Nor Jones would do that's very singer-orientated. Um, and that's kind of where I would go with it. Much more singer-orientated on the complexities of the jazz performance. And itself. obviously,
1: you've also seen gigs from stadiums and to smaller clubs. A, do you have to sort of perform differently? And B, do you have a preference? I mean, it must be a massive buzz of being in front of an you know, umpteen, 100,000 crowd in the stadium. But in, equally, the intimacy of a club must be special as well.
3: Yeah. Do, do you know what? It's like an actor, like, you know, it's an actor's working in front of like of load of, lo- load of us. you know, a massive camera crew and the director and all that there and they're doing their art. And then they decide after a while they want to go back to sharpening their tools and go back to theatre where there's no cuts, there's no edits. It's just whatever you do is live. Um, That's how I see it from doing when I do the arena, obviously in the stadiums, of course, the show is the show. However, there's such a distance between you and the crowd, even though you can hear them and you are hearing it in your ears, earpiece pack of like screaming and flashing lights, stuff like that. You can zone, you can really zone out to a degree and zone in. Zone in by the atmosphere and the vibe and keeping that show going with the energy, the zoning out is because you just see a sea of flashing lights. You don't really see faces Mm. except for maybe the first few rows. And so I could zone out in the stadium and looking at the exit sign or I'm looking here and to, to the audience, I'm looking at them. Um, But when you're in a a small jazz club, it's a completely different setting where you're not coming in ears now. You can hear the little whispers, you can see everyone's faces. And so uh, I love the intimacy of it all Mm. and being able to talk more and see how my songs affect Effect, yeah. and have a, a, and that's, that's the thing for me so there, there's something about that and it only makes me better when I do the bigger shows
1: and, and a silly little question just something that crossed my mind when you're doing those big stadiums and arenas and you've got the in-ears in how well are you able to monitor yourself back are you, what, are you getting a click track or are you listening to your vocal back yeah so basically what happens is when you've got let's say I've got these headphones in now right but
3: the ones that we'd be using more professionally based so they've got like you know six drivers on each side covering all the frequencies and then What you'd have is two mixing desks. So you've got the front of house, which is mixing for the audience. And then you'd have at the side of the stage, a monitor. And that monitor has got another desk and he's giving you the exact mix that you want. So for instance, I might say, I want a little bit of the band in each thing, but my voice is more prominent with some reverb so I can control it in my in-ears. And then no. And then in these special in-ears, there'll be like a little bleed capsule there. So a little hole where you're able to hear the audience. So you still feel like you're in the room. Yeah. or the arena and that way you're not you're not drowned out by the music or the band you're <laughs> on top of everything and I just got to trust my back to get it to the sweet spot
1: and so each of you guys on stage will have the monitor set to hear what you want it's the, the, the sound guys will monitor it it's exactly. you right I'm with you
3: exactly down to your preference and then what happens is each show they'll just you know redial that into the desk and it will remember where it was and then what they do is they mix to the room because the each arena and stadium is different so they'll mix to the room and then you've got the sound that you can't have before. Do
1: you know what? Knowing a little bit about sound, a little bit, I've often thought a sound en- engineer's job at a stadium looks like hell on earth. <laughs> How they get it to sound really. good in a stadium it amazes me, absolutely amazes me. Because acoustically, yeah, it's, you're it's, kind a of, lot of- it's big. <laughs> it's out in the open. and
3: Yeah, it, it's, 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 um, it's, there is, a, there is a, the technical science behind it. Because the, you know, these guys, are they've trained for many years doing what they do. And so, you know, they've got all the gear, you've got throw tools, rigs, the whole lot. So when they're recording the show and what they will do is they'll record the shows, um, so that they can play in the next arena back. So to know what the sound should be like, to mix oh, to that I room. See.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there
3: is a science behind it. Uh, mm. Um, so that when we come up and do what we do, it's like, it sounds amazing yeah. for the audience, you know? Yeah. yeah. And and I'm so- you know, the way that we, I was going to say the way that we see it is we're doing our show, but really the guy that's mixing the front of house, it's his show.
1: Mm. You know, like he's mixing it to the right frequency, the right level for that audience. Um, And so we're we're at his mercy. I went to one gig and and the sound was just terrible. It ruined it. You know, the guy just on the desk just clearly wasn't up to the job or he's having a bad night and it just ruined the whole thing. It was muddy. You couldn't hear the band. It was awful. So you don't realise. And presumably, uh, would it be a case also, you get to know a lot of these sound guys. And if you know he's on, you think, yeah, we've got a good engineer there.
3: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, generally what happens is like, when I'm doing my solo stuff, it's just a five-piece band. And sometimes it might be a bit bigger than I might add an extra guitarist. Like Tony Remy joins me on some stuff. There'll be two guitarists. So there'll be a different kind of stage plot. And sometimes I might have the horn section as well. But each, each venue, I kind of know um, the T the, because the I may have played there before mm. and know the engineer. But then the engineer will have information on my show, the levels, that everything's done. So he's kind of got it to a, a point. But when you're doing the, the figure tools, you've got your own dedicated engineering team. So they know your sound, like, like nothing else, you know, so that's, the, that's the way it works.
1: And you said that, I mean, you mentioned you've got the gig at Ronnie's coming up, but uh, the gigs in general are looking much more healthy now than you yeah? You're getting booked into next year as well.
3: Yeah. Um, I've, the, the, the thing is, things are coming in. So I'm, I've got dates that I've kind of like not even paid that much attention to them because they come, i check the band's availability, but I'm so used to now like getting three days notice, four days notice that yeah, there's been another, you know, they're on Amber, or this has happened. So they're gonna to have to change venue or it's not gonna happen postpone the date. So all these dates that are coming in, I'm like, let's see how things go. <laughs> and uh wish for the best in that. But it so far, it seems good. I'm gonna be playing um Germany. We'll be going back to um Italy and some other places throughout Europe. So that's, that's, that's really exciting to, to, to know. And also for the least people as well, they've not seen live music for a long time, so it's going to be a special moment. So hopefully, fingers crossed, this will happen and we can get back to something in normality.
1: Well, I can feel your energy from here. I mean, you look like you're just literally jumping at the bit to get out there and perform again.
3: I, I am, man. I am. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just at this point now where I'm trying to just get back. There's an emotional feeling about, look, you've, you've been away from for so long. Mm. And when you see so the humans and they're tearing up, you're at that point where it's like, well, man, starts to affect you because it means everything to them. Yeah, And just like, you know, us too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're all kind of at that point where we're a bit edgy, we're a little bit nervous, but we just want to get back to, to what we do best. What you do, you know? yeah.
1: yeah. And that was the hard thing, you know, watching you guys just have anywhere to have that outlet and having to just do live streams and so on. Anything to just keep a bit of performance going. But, you know, to see this now coming back, and speed. we never take it for granted again.
3: Yeah, David. I just think it's that. No, we, exactly. And that, that, that I've never really taken, and you know, I say this to my band, that I never take what I've got for granted. Because at any moment, there could be a problem, something could happen, could mm. change. Mm. And so uh, my mind is always that I'm not just trying to do performance. I'm trying to create an experience that people leave like, wow, that was something I'll Feel A bit Challenged. Yeah, yeah. for, that's exactly why I wrote the Keep Pushing album. It's all about momentum. It's all about overcoming obstacles. It's all about how do you see the glass, half full or half empty. So there's songs on there, like, for instance, Different Street, what I did with Tony Remy. And that's just about, there are, you might think your life is bad, but let me paint a picture of some other people's lives and you realize that what you've got is not so bad. Mm. And there's a lyric in there that says, as the world keeps on spinning, I can loudly hear it grow. And if you threw its problems in the air, you'd be glad to catch you up. And it's just showing the lyrical point of like, do you know what? My life isn't as bad as that person. So so be grateful for it all and and, and keep moving. So that's kind of what what I'm about and my content's about.
1: Do you know, part of what I love with these interviews is oftentimes I come off just feeling enervated and happy. And you just sort of like fill me with this energy now to go into the evening and just think, you know what? Things are okay. Things are good.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They could be far worse. Yeah. Sometimes we, you know, we go through some stuff and we, we, we have problems. We lose things and we gain things. But I think that life is experience of learning. And my thing is that, yeah, we've gone through some bad stuff in the last 18 months. Economically, socially, politically, there's been so much stuff. But one thing about the human race, we're, we're resilient. And if we can get through this, we can go, yeah, we've seen all this, but now I know I'm strong enough to be able to, to deal with
1: come through whatever
3: comes next. Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. So, yeah.
3: And the beautiful thing is that music intertwines us. I mean, it's a part of our DNA, the fabric of life. And I think that's the thing that, that, that helps people. So I just can't wait to go back and give out that music. As I say,
1: people can feel the energy that I'm feeling from you now. It, it's, it's almost tangible. I feel like I can almost touch the energy coming off of you.
3: My brother, listen, music is mental health. It is mental health. And for me, I do a lot of stuff with mental health charities and this is the thing to me, music is such an important part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our mission now is to create more content, be busier than ever before, and just, just work hard. Right now, I mean, I'm in, a, in, a, in this beautiful uh, Zen rooms in, in Margate. Um, I'm up here outside of music. I'm into property. I've been looking at some property stuff. I've got some good friends here that have got some amazing music venues. Family Council doing some amazing things for musicians and music here. And um, I came down to see what was going on in the live streaming thing, like a mini Netflix thing going on here. So it's a lot for music. And so I'm tapping my hands into it and just getting involved and, and just getting re-energized. Just had an amazing hot stone massage as well at this <laughs> therapy <laughs> place. So, so that's why I'm like, yeah, zoned out. See
1: you. are in a good place. You really are. I, I'll, I'll let you get into your evening. More, but I was looking at your website earlier. A lovely website you've got as well. There's a lot of information there and it's just oh, a beautiful, beautifully laid out website and it's TonyMonrell.com. Nice. And you're easy to find all socials. You're Tony Monrell everywhere. Instagram, Facebook. There you go. Yep. There and you Twitter. go. Nice need there. to get hold of. So, and well, all I can say is, it's, oh, and before I let you go, two people I need to bring up. First of all, I was speaking with Joe Harrop today, who co-presents the show with me Joe once Harab, yeah. yeah. You just sat yes. at the Cadogan Hall with her recently, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. We did that recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she co-hosted the show me once a month and I said to her, oh, I'm speaking with Tony. Ah. Oh, Tony. I was with Tony not that long ago. So she said hi. She's great. And then I think at, at, the, at the end also, I need to thank David Noyes for setting this up for us. It was David Noyes that was the, the, the man between us. So,
3: You know, David has been like somebody that's, that's always come to every incognito show, every Tony Momoa show, with a grin on his face, always front and centre. And Always been polite. He's never intruded and tried to, you know, it, always. And I, I always give him time because for me, I'm just like this guy. Really, is about supporting music. He loves music inside
1: and out. Yeah,
3: him, himself and also Grant, a guy called Grant Fuller. Um, they they actually live in your area, not not too far away from where you live. Mm-hmm. And they're just amazing people. They're always recommending our music to other people on different platforms. And um, yeah, I, I'm 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 proud to know him. I think he's a special person. You mean both, um, yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Really, really great. I've got a lot of time for him.
1: Uh, Well, there you go. David, thank you from both of us. So, Tony, uh, brilliant. Obviously, I'm going to have one of those nights now. I'm just going to be buzzing. So you've really filled me with joy and expectation. I just really can't wait to see what you do next. And I'll have a quick word with you about those albums that you mentioned, the jazz albums. We'll get to play some music on the show. And thank you once again for finding this time to be with us. My
3: pleasure, man. Thank you so
1: much for having me. I really appreciate it. Tony, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, brother.
2: There's been so much devastation and broken hearts All the nations are torn apart Future's gray, can we even face the day? Don't know where the wind is blowing It's hard to see if we're coming and going Lost belief, night is long But we'll keep holding on There's not much else that we can do, but be strong, and pray that faith will see us through another minute of another hour, another day. And with time, we can lift our head and say, look at us now, we're still standing through the storm. Look at us now still here and holding on, moving forward. No, we're not over, we're not out. Look at us now. Look at us now. A new chapter, a new page, another reason to fight again. Here we are. Yes, we've come so far. A new dust has settled and now we see a brand new day but lord we still need your grace there's so much further yet to go and by faith we will make it this i know through the battle we will overcome this pain and with time now yeah.
0: Ahead with The 606 Club and David
1: Lewis. Really, really enjoyed my time with Tony. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And if you want to listen to it all over again, don't forget that'll be up on Mixcloud. And I'll put links to, uh, to that post in the various socials that I do after the show has gone out. And I uh, just want to say thank you one more time to Tony Monrell. Hopefully catch up sometime soon. So down with us at the club on Friday this week, you've got Jaylee Small. And then on uh, Sunday... Uh, in the evening at 8pm gig you'll be able to see Anglo-American songstress uh, Sarah Gillespie She's going to be at the club along with Tom Cooley on piano Connor Chapman on the bass James Madden will be on the drums and let's listen to her now with The Last of the Good Time Charlies
0: I wasn't ready for the bad news I wasn't betting on the joke He was nostalgic for those blue days When we drank whiskey and China's mouth. Along a river Because they barricade the bridge You solve your mysteries in her town is your bill
1: Sarah, as I mentioned, is with us at the club this coming Sunday for 8 o'clock onwards and all the details are, you know where, over on the website 606club.co.uk We haven't got all that much longer together this week but uh, still got some lovely tracks to play and last week I started playing play numbers from Lauren Bush and her brand new album Dream Away got great reactions so I thought I'd continue supporting the album that's what the show's all about and this is a track you'll find on the album The Shadows of Your Smile Today
6: we walked along the sand One day in early spring You held a piper in your hand To mend its broken wing. Now I'll remember many a day And many a lonely mile shadow of a smile. The shadow of your smile when you are gone will color all my Pissful little star was far too high a teardrop kissed your lips.
1: Love loved the album and uh, that was the shadow of your smile that we just listened to and Lauren and I have spoken about hopefully sitting down and recording an interview so uh, with any luck we'll sit down over the next few weeks, I'll get it recorded and you'll hear it here on the 606 Club Straight Ahead Show and we're going to be giving plenty of support to that album over the course of the next couple of weeks as well. And don't forget I mentioned I'll be sitting down with Hannah Horton, the saxophonist, this week and uh, we'll run that interview just before her gig with us on the 22nd of September. Earlier in the year we were giving a lot of attention to the album from Harpist Amanda Whiting and since then the album's got a lot of acclaim, in fact I think it's been nominated for some Jazz FM awards recently as well and rightly so. One of our favourite tracks on the album though is a track, a remix track that's on there right at the end of the track of uh, the album. It's a remix of the title track After Dark and uh, it's been reworked by Rebecca Basman. Here is that remix. <laughs> Much of the album features Chip Wickham. Uh, they, uh, Amanda and Chip, collab and work together an awful lot. But on the uh track we just listened to there which was a remix of the title track of the album from Manda After Dark and if you haven't got the album in your collection yet do go and get it it's brilliant we started playing tracks way back when when it was released and it's a brilliant listen so make sure to add it to your collection. The track we just listened to there was remixed by Rebecca Vasmont and featured the beautiful beautiful vocals of Nadia Albertson. Add it to your collection. So somebody else that we started to play uh, tracks from last week was Beverly Byrne and her new album Dream Dancer. So let's play another track from the album now Pieces of Dreams.
7: Little boy lost. In search of little boy found. You go a wandering, wandering, stumbling, tumbling road. Tip of your mind. Why are you blind to all you ever were, never were? Really are, nearly are. Little boy false. In search of little boy true. Will you be ever done traveling?
4: Dreams.
7: Those pieces will never fit What is the sense of it Little boy Blue Don't let your little sheep roam It's time Come blow your horn Meet the morn Look and see Can you be full of it little boy blue don't let your little sheep roam it's time come blow your horn meet the morn look and see can you be full
1: everyone Pieces of Dreams. So if you're listening closely, and I sincerely hope you have been, I mentioned earlier on in the show that on Saturday of this week, there's a project album launched down at the club, the Harvey O'Higgins project. And we played a track from Dave O'Higgins a little bit earlier on, along with Rob Luft. Well, uh, Graham Harvey was actually involved and worked on the album with Vilma Barn, And we've been playing tracks on that album recently. The album is called So Nice. So I thought what we would do to give you a little intro into the gig this coming weekend is play another track from Vilma's album. So let's listen to better than anything along with Graham.
8: Better than sailing at midnight. Better than diving for pearls. Better than skiing in Aspen. Better than feeding the squirrels. Better than finding a horseshoe. Better than losing your head. Better than anything thought of. Better than anything said. Better than singing right out loud or being spotted in a crowd. Better than anything except being in love. Better than four sets of dizzy. Better than Count Basie's band, better than Rollins and Coltrane, better than being on the stand, better than Ella Fitzgerald, better than Miles' latest news, better than Bill Evans' ballads, better than Joe Williams' blues, better than hearing Lady Day or checking in at Monterey, better than anything except being in love. Better than elephants dancing, better than clouds on parade, better than peanuts and popcorn, better than fresh lemonade, better than rides on the midway, better than seals blowing horns, better than men shot from cannons, better than fresh ears of corn, better than balancing a wire, or watching tigers leap through fire, better than anything except being alive. dancing, better than clouds of parade, better than peanuts and popcorn, better than fresh lemonade, better than rides on the midway, better than seals blowing horns, better than man shot from cannons, better than fresh ears of corn, better than balancing a wire, or watching tigers lead through fire, better than anything except being in love. Talk about love. Better than or checking in at Monterey better than anything except being in love.
1: Thank you for listening over the last couple of hours. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you also to Tony Monrell for uh, being such a great guest. Hope you enjoyed the interview. And don't forget, if you want to listen to it all over again, then you can. I'll put the links to Mixcloud up on the post with the podcast when it goes out on socials over the next couple of days and uh, playing out this week with a track from Paul Edis and his forthcoming album, This Is Muddle 3. I'll see you at the same time next week for more great jazz and conversation.